Hey everybody, welcome to the Table Podcast. I am Nick Hand, and this is our very first uh, opening release of the podcast. I'm joined by my brother Drew. Yeah. You want like a podcast nickname or anything? Or? No, I don't okay. Think so. Drew, and then we have Miggy. Miggy Azalea. I think he's he's he's. You know how every podcast has that that yeah. guy. Like he's already that, <laughs> guy. that guy. You already have. You got the nickname. Yeah. Miggy, Miggy Azalea. Yeah, I think it works. Stick. Probably wondering what we've been doing. Well, we've just been stacking our chips, getting ready. You know, you got to prepare for these kinds of things. And so we've been recording podcasts. Uh, for those of you wondering, what is the Table Podcast all about? Well, it's a long-form, anything-goes podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you were to be on the field with your friends playing football, and they're like, hey, what are the rules? You're like, I don't know, anything goes. That would be what the podcast <laughs> is. It's kind of one of those anything goes type format it's a long uh, long form uh, format podcast we do have goals though and um i do want to address those we'll always maybe open up with with some just little fun before we get into you know as we say as people say in the church world the meat of the matter mm. you know we don't want milk we want meat right isn't it weird the things <laughs> that church people say just some meat you know it's uh, yeah just you know that was a lot of milk but it was it was it wasn't wasn't enough meat mm-hmm. Like seriously, why milk and meat though? I don't well because it's 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 rooted in in theological oh, baby expression. Food. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's why. Yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Can you, you imagine? Yeah, it's like they're a well balanced diet. Well, it is, but how can there's not like um, there's not like uh, like vegetarians like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They they always want they always <laughs> want the meat. Like what? It's, it's just um, it just makes no sense. Anyway, we do have goals though, and. Uh, the ultimate goal of the Table Podcast, I would say, is to get people to think about what they don't think about. Um, over 90% of what we, um, in the way that our minds work, only 10% is conscious. 90% is either unconscious or subconscious. And uh, so the goal is to kind of get through conversation to bring people to uh, a place where they can consider different ideas and things that maybe they don't normally think about or consider. One thing that I find in our world is just how much our thoughts and our, our ideals and belief systems, whether it be as it pertains to people, groups, or social groups, um, politics, we just regurgitate so much information. Uh, I think a lot of that comes from being in the media age where we read something and we think, that it's true when it might be fake news. You don't know if it could be fake news. And um, the whole thing is to get you to think about what you think about or what you believe. You know, we say that we believe a lot of things, but I think it's important to evaluate those things. And conversation is the ultimate format for that because it's impossible to hate someone whose story, you know, and when you hear uh, where somebody comes from, I think you realize just how much we're all passionate about like our way of thinking. Um, but we realize just how much we actually have in common. We have so much more in common than we actually do that divides us. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the tragedy of American uh, society is because we allow things to divide us that really shouldn't. I think yeah. that we can uh, disagree. We can see things from the opposite sides uh, of the world or, or the table, uh, so to speak, and at the same time still see that we have more in common that unites yeah. us as brothers and sisters uh, than we do that divides us. So. Yeah. That's what the podcast is about. Um, we're taking the rails off this one, so don't put us in a box. We'll yeah. kind of figure it out as we go. It's going to be uh, a whole whole lot of fun. And uh, buckle up for the ride. We'll always try to start out with something like this to prime the pump. There's another another <laughs> phrase, another phrase that is just like, 
let's just prime the pump a little mm-hmm. bit. You know what I mean? Like, it's something that has to be done. You got to prime it. Yeah. Wet the whistle. <laughs> got to. You got to. You got to wet the whistle. A hey, one thing. Speaking of whistle, that I've learned on this podcast so far, I think I need to go to like one of those people that like pull your nose hairs out, dude. No. Because I listen to myself and I got like a constant like. Shh. Like right you now probably you hear it. Well, yeah. Listen. You hear that in there? That should not be there. Maybe just a simple neti pot before. No, know? I just like we'll slick them down. Just slick them down. That's so disgusting. What spray. is it that makes nose hairs extra disgusting? It is gross. Because like I was gonna, I was gonna bring it up earlier. I had to take out my nose ring just to like get in there with the <laughs> the trimmer, you know? Oh, nose. Okay, nose hairs are arguably the most arguably the most disgusting hair, yeah. and I, I don't know why that I, is. I think what grosses me out is like. You, you maintain, but then every once in a while you'll find one that's been hiding in a crevice oh, and it's like a long uh, sucker that, and you pull that guy out. Now that mm-hmm. just caused us to lose listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> we haven't we even got this party so started. Yeah. Hey, our guest on the podcast today is the legendary Robert Madu. Uh, you've probably heard of him uh, if you are in the know on what is cool and what is not. He's been a traveling communicated preacher uh, for over 10 years and uh, has spoken at some of the greatest conferences and spaces in the world. Him and his wife, Taylor, have three kids. And the only thing I don't like about him is that he's a huge Cowboys fan. <laughs> Cowboys, rest in peace this season. You know, he talked about some football stuff in this podcast, but it's it's um, extremely lightning conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. And uh, even as we we do these podcasts, they will. Uh, we're going to start out with some pretty awesome preachers and uh, communicators because that's the world. Uh, that I'm in a lot of the time, but we will be beyond those four walls of uh, conversation. So, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Madu. First the barricade, now the table. The table. Hey, let's start out. How did you know, talking about like preaching and stuff like that, how did you get into this? Some people would call it a line of work, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we wouldn't call it a line of work, but for you, like, how did it, how did it start for you? It's actually a really interesting story and ended up being, you know, an integral part of why I'm doing it now. So I, um, growing up, did not want to be a preacher. Uh-huh. I grew up in church doing drama and plays and acting. So I actually wanted to be an actor. I was like, the guy that was always saying, how come Hollywood and Christians in Hollywood rather make the cheesiest, right. worst movies? I was yeah. like, I'm going to change it, Lord. We're going to make good <laughs> movies, and it's going to bring glory to God. And so I always thought I was going to be an actor. But uh, the denomination of which I'm a part of, Assemblies of God, has this thing called fine arts competition. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to just give some context, it's like Christian American Idol on steroids. Yeah. So you actually compete, believe it or not. In uh, drama, in uh, singing, they have a worship uh, category. They have a really? preaching category. They have, you name it, anything you can probably do in ministry, they have a category for it in which you compete. And yeah. the reason they do it is because they want to help young people discover, develop, and deploy their gifts for the kingdom of God. So I always did the drama categories. So we're mm-hmm. talking about human video solos. What is, what is a human video? A human video solo. For those is, that don't know. Yes, this is literally, you know, really letting you know how much of a church kid I, <laughs> I was. So you you physically act out and perform whatever the song was. So back yeah. in my day in doing, it could be any song, but back in my day, Carmen would have been right. a huge he's, he's <laughs> song. Yes, man. because it's like these narratives that he's yeah. telling uh, today. And for people Satan who are 
invite the yes, dust. Was exactly. That yes, exactly. Yes, invite the dust. All of those. I did human videos to yeah. that. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, what it is? Just think R. Kelly yeah. trapped in the closet, so like narrative. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you do acting and stuff to that. And so I always did the drama category. And uh, my junior year of doing it, it's from junior high to high school, my youth pastor came up to me and he said, Robert, I really feel like you've got a gift to communicate the gospel. I mm -hmm. want you to do the preaching category. And I was like, mm -hmm. why? I was like, I'm going to Hollywood to be an actor. He's like, just do it for me. So I went home and got a text of scripture and just wrote down yeah. uh, a little rinky-dink message, what I thought, and I went and preached it to him. And I finish, and tears are coming down his face. Wow. And he's like, you have no idea the gift that God has given you. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. And so I go do the competition. You preach a five-minute sermon in front of three judges. And when I tell you two minutes into doing the, uh, doing the short sermon, as they call it, um, it was like the Holy Spirit hit the room. Wow. And I heard God's voice so strong that I almost felt like it was audible saying, hey, this is more than a competition. Yeah. This is what I've called you to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I remember the moment like it was yesterday. Yeah. Ended up winning that competition. And if you win in that competition, you actually get a scholarship to a Sims of God Bible College. So at the time, I was wanting to go to SMU and do acting, but didn't get the scholarship there. Got this full scholarship to Bible College. So God was like, let me make my will clear for you. You can go right. pay 30 grand a year or you can go for free 99 <laughs> to this Bible <laughs> College. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah. And so... That's how I got started, man. It's, it's interesting even looking back. I was always drawn to preaching. Growing up in Dallas, Bishop Jakes was a huge voice yeah. and influence. But uh, that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is what I'm called to do for the rest yeah. of my life. Wow. Kind of just began like that. For, for you, how is that? What is it like competing in preaching? I mean, that's right. Like talent right. show. Yeah, Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like an interesting thing. Absolutely. Like, it's let's it, see who's more anointed. Right. <laughs> What, what is that even like? Right. It's it's funny, too. And, like, it, it can get kind of crazy. But the heart of it is to really help you steward and find what your gift is. So they judge you on your content, on your delivery. But to be honest, because that was the entry point into my call to preach, if I'm not careful, mm -hmm. even today, it's a fight for the fight of my life is to realize that when I get up to preach, I'm not preaching for the approval mm. of other people. I'm not preaching to get a scorecard for somebody else. I'm preaching because this is a call in my life right. because the gospel is good news and people need need to hear it. So, But it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, yeah. and it, it can get crazy in that competition for it. You see churches you know, just about to yeah. <laughs> have a fight at the – it's actually going on now uh, in Houston, Texas, the national competition for it. Yeah. But uh, – yeah, it, it, the the purpose of it is to really just help you find out what is on the inside of you. What has God given you? Yeah. That you're how do you to how do you for you draw draw that line? You know, people in ministry, there's an emphasis on you know you're gifted to do what you do. In any other industry, I think it's it seems to be more about skill, and so mm. there is a great sense of competition in a lot of ways. Right. If you're a soda company, you know you compete with other soda companies. Yeah. In church work, like the whole thing, right, is no one's in competition with anybody. Right. At the same time, you have a skill set and a craft, especially you coming out of your background. How do you tote, how do you tote that line? How do you, how do you, you know, I want to be better at what I do, but at the same time, you know, looking at other people and not right. giving into the, the trap. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the messages that's almost become a life message that I preach is this message about comparison. I call yeah. it on their mark. And it's really a, 
a message that comes against anybody who has the spirit of comparison, comparing yourself to other people. Paul is clear that comparing yourself to other people, you're not wise in Corinthians and that whole thing. But the part I probably don't say in the message that I should is that there is actually a level of comparison that is healthy, yeah. that is so good. How else can you know if you're good that's until you true. look at somebody else? I think one of the things yeah. that's changed even in the sports world with kids, which mine aren't old enough yet to compete, but I'm going to find them a sport that they compete in where they actually still give kids first, second, third place because yeah. now they don't want to hurt kids' feelings, so everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a granola bar. Yeah. I'm like, heck no, my kids are going to know right. <laughs> who's first, second, and third because yeah. they don't want to hurt people's feelings. So there, to me, there is a level of comparison that is extremely helpful that can help you grow. But it, to me, the line for where it becomes unhealthy is to the point that I feel like my purpose is thwarted or negated because you are better mm. than me to the point I say, well, forget it. Right. That's when, to me, it's become unhealthy. Yeah. But I think it would be absolutely crazy for somebody who does any craft in anything to not look at somebody else who's doing and say, how can I grow? One of the yeah. things that's helped me as a preacher is listening to preachers like crazy. I tell young preachers, if you want to grow, listen mm -hmm. to preachers, not to be them, but to learn, hey, I can be better. I can be clearer. Look at how he executed that illustration. I could be better at that. Because if you don't do that, you won't grow. So to me, there's a level of comparison that is super healthy yeah. for you to grow your gift. It's, it's important to talk about. Not a lot of people talk about you know that side, I think, of the coin. Yeah. And especially in a world of society, you talk about your kids in the sports analogy, right. right? Like that's, that's something that more and more people aren't comfortable with teaching their kids the struggle. Right. Yeah. And the power, I think, of navigating through struggle. I know me and my wife were just talking about this uh, last night. For you, how, how important is, do you think that is to, to I guess, to get, because it's one thing you see, do you see that in, in our world and the generations to come where there's almost, uh, a hesitancy to acknowledge the necessity of call it struggle, call it pain, call it, you know, the process right. yeah, yeah, yeah. for the sake of achieving, whether it be your dreams or your goals or just getting through life. Right. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I think it's, it's huge. And it's, it's weird too. It's so funny you say that because literally this morning, early morning on our little back patio, we mm. have this little roller coaster ride that my two-year-old and three-year-old love it's like just on this hill in our backyard and they'll go down it mm. and a lot of times they'll try to pull it back up to get it back on the roller coaster and yeah. like they'll be struggling and so i'll be quick to go over there and just help them do it and they're two and three i'm like yeah. you know what they can lift this yeah. thing themselves but yeah. it, but it's my heart is just out of love yeah. to to help them out and i think you have to really be careful because you actually end up hindering somebody if you don't do that, but you need to allow people to go through a struggle to yeah. to fail. To speak back to that competition I did before I even went into acting, I did the singing category and yeah. did terrible, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> terrible. Sang a solo mm. and did the song, and it was just bad. My nerves got the best of me, and I was like short breath, and it sounded terrible. But in that, it pushed me into acting from the acting category into preaching. I think you gotta sometimes even fail and stumble your way into your yeah. purpose. I often say. I mean, to use a biblical illustration, I think one of the greatest things that happened for David was when Saul made him put on his armor mm. to fight Goliath. Because as soon as he put on that armor, he realized, this is not me. Yeah. And I think that's healthy. That's good for you to you know, say, you know what? I tried this. 
this is not me. Yeah. And I felt miserable. Let me go back to what I know. I am a slingshot fighter. I right. am not an armor person. But to not give somebody that opportunity to try something out or to fail, I think it robs them of the ability to find out what God put on the inside of them because yeah. it's in the struggle of it. You know, it's like working out. It's in the struggle and the tearing right. down of the muscles that you say, okay, now I know what I'm graced and called to do. Yeah. It's funny because you, I mean, I, I think in today's day and age, that is part of the equation that gets left out a lot. Like, yeah. nobody likes to hear that. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I think even for me growing up in within the context of the church, you know, people talk about the struggle or the mountains and the valleys, and you think, okay, but not me. You right. know, yeah, like, yeah. I don't, for me, it's going to be different. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, mountaintop yeah, yeah, to yeah. mountaintop for me. Uh, but the importance of, of embracing that. For you, do you. Do you think that sometimes, too, I look at, um, uh, I, it seems like generations that have it really hard, they try to make it easier for their their kids, mm -hmm. and a lot of times those kids that never learn the power of being able to push through resistance, they seem to struggle. No, you know? absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. something you kind of yeah, see. 100%, because it's like there's something that is produced out of the struggle mm -hmm. that you can't get when everything is easy. Mm -hmm. And so, but but to that end too, also I think that no matter what your struggle is gonna be something, I think mm -hmm. there's some people of the older generation who are like, I had to walk six <laughs> miles in the right. snow both ways. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, they yeah. didn't have Teslas when you right. were <laughs> growing up either. So there's different struggles that we're gonna have. So everybody's gonna have some type of struggle. And I would even say to somebody who maybe has been in an atmosphere that they've kind of been coddled and not been given that sometimes you just got to do something that you hate yeah you know what i'm saying i think this notion that everything god calls you to do is going to be easy yeah. that you're going to like it yeah i think that is just something that you're going to be happy about it i think right. that is a false narrative there's just going to be some stuff that you're absolutely going to hate in fact i don't know is this can we say this on yeah, this podcast you can say anything on this podcast <laughs> hello anything <laughs> go for it no but there's a guy on uh i was just seeing on instagram the other day and he like is a trainer and he has this whole little thing. He says, do what sucks today. Yeah. And that's his thing is like, do yeah. something in terms of working out that sucks. Something you do not want to do, right. but you know, in the long run, it's going to be good for you. And I yeah. think sometimes we need to take that in life. Do something that sucks that right. you do not want to do. Right. But you know, in the end, it's going to help you grow into who God's called you to be. What's interesting, you know, you talk about that. I've been thinking a lot about the, the idea of discipline, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Discipline, one of the definitions that I've heard a lot is doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it yeah. so that you can do what you want to do when you want to do it. Absolutely. This idea of going through, I mean, really preparation, but you, the thing about discipline is you don't always know why, right. You know what it's yeah, going yeah, to lead yeah. to, exactly. and, but having those regimented things, it's like, you know, you bring up the David thing. It's like, whether it be the slingshot or the harp, I don't, you know, that he ever knew what was going to be the thing that's going to make him right. the man, exactly. but having the disciplines in both, are what created a space for him to one day be able be to be called before Saul right. or to be able to be called on to kill a giant and he's ready and prepared. So true. This I, idea of, of preparing for it, you know, discipline. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that because I think, because that word used to scare the mess out of me, like yeah. discipline. It's like, oh, what do, I, what do I need to do? But you know what? something that changed the framework for me is that if you know what your passion is, your passion will always point you to the discipline. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times if you think discipline is separate, you're like, oh, I can't do that. But people are never going to be disciplined about something that they're not necessarily passionate about. To put it in my context, I love communicating mm -hmm. the Word of God. I am passionate about yeah. it. 
I hate reading. (laughs) I hate reading commentaries and sitting in a library for hours upon hours and reading stuff I don't understand. I can't stand that. I hate getting up early and getting away. I would rather be just Netflix and, you know, and chill. chill. (laughs) With my wife. I would much rather do that. But my passion Mm -hmm. to effectively communicate the gospel so that people would see the beauty and the splendor of who Jesus is, that passion produces the discipline for me to put in the 18 to 17 hours I put in each message that I preach. So I think sometimes, to me, reframing that whole discipline thing and going, okay, what is my passion? What is something that I want? And then what is the discipline that is necessary for that passion to come forth. And if you can do it like that, it's still got to do the hard work. But yeah. for me to have the passion and the framework of the overarching thing that I want, the end result, I think it helps It helps you with the discipline. For you and what you do, extremely dynamic, gifted speaker. I mean, people strive to, you know, to have half of the, the gift, the talent, to be able to do what you do. For you, what percentage of that is gift? What percentage of that is work? Oh my goodness! See that? I think the lines just get blurred because, yeah. <laughs> and to and to be quite transparent, I think in my earlier days of starting to preach, I probably put in more grind hmm. than I do now. And there's even a voice on the inside of me saying, "Robert, get back to the grind really? that you used to have." Because when I first started preaching, man, I'm telling you, it was like. 30 to 40 hours, honestly, in a message, I would write out every word of the message, every community. I still listen to a lot of communicators today, but when I listen to communicators, I just started off from this healthy premise of any person that is communicating is teaching you something, no matter what they're doing. They're teaching you what to do or what not to do. So I would be such a student of that, just writing down on a sheet of paper. I would draw a line down one sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. This is what I learned from this person that was good. This is what I learned that is not me or definitely I didn't think was effective. So I think, yeah, I I don't even think I could put a percentage on it because the lines get blurred because I'm so... So for you, how can you, you know, you talk about getting back to the grind. I would, you'd probably look back and you, hopefully, like when you look back on your career or whatever you call it, you look at how far that you've come in a lot of ways, I mean, everybody progresses and gets better. Would you want to, when you talk about getting back to the grind, what even leads you or motivates you to get back to that if you look at what you're doing now and it seems to be working? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's just, uh, what drives you to say, I need to get back right. to the grind? The, the drive to not be complacent. Mm. I just think complacency. Comfortable? Yes, comfortable. I don't want to ever feel like I've arrived, that I've got it. I just... Because part of the grind at the beginning was, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to write (laughs) a sermon. And so part of the grind is just you not knowing. But after a while, as you grow, you're like, okay, I know how to do it. But just getting back to that that vulnerability of God, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. And sometimes that's even for me in the context of what I do, it's even style. I've even challenged myself sometimes, say, can I just sit on a stool Mm. and not have to, because my my tendency is generally to preach and Right. And shout and get crazy, but I was like, "Hey, can I still be comfortable in my in my gift to just sit back and just have a teaching moment? Just finding ways to get back to that, you know, uncomfortability yeah. of Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, and if you don't help me do it, this is going to be a train wreck." And how so, how important is that? You know, because we were even talking earlier about this this idea of staying hungry, going after it, not becoming entitled. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. I think for anybody, when you get a little bit of success under your belt, there is a tendency to get comfortable. Absolutely. How do you how do you fight that? 
How important is that? I think sometimes just being aware of it is the biggest thing. Because I think sometimes complacency is like, um, I heard this one quote the other day, man. It said, the chains of habit are too light to be felt Mm. until they're too heavy to be moved. Wow. Wait, okay, say say that again. (laughs) Say it again. The chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be moved. And so Mm. sometimes complacency is something that'll creep in you and it'll lull you to sleep. You You don't don't, even know. And you don't even know it. That's what's crazy about sleep. If you really think about it, you don't know where you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. If anybody ever just like just dozed off, sometimes you don't know even though you're sleeping. Somebody said, hey, wake up. You're like, oh, I didn't even know. So to me, that's what complacency is. You don't even realize it. And I think God in his care for us, he'll give you moments where it'll it'll wake you up and he'll push you. So that's that's what I really lean on besides... Uh, working from a place of saying, God, don't ever let me get that place. I think God and his care for us will push you yeah. into a place. Some some people are so frustrated in the job right now. It's because they've been comfortable. And God's been trying to get you out of that job because you're supposed to be a CEO. You're supposed to be running your own business. Yeah. The reason you wake up and hate your job every day yeah. is because you're supposed to be the owner of the company. You know, And so sometimes God and his sovereignty won't even allow you to get complacent. And you can just be frustrated yeah. <laughs> or wake up and go, oh, wait a minute, I've gotten stuck yeah. in the system and then I need to go. Which is interesting because, I mean, probably for a lot of people, comfort is the goal, right? Let right. me achieve so that I can get to a place where right. I can relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while it's the goal, it's also in a lot of ways your ultimate enemy. Absolutely. 100%. If you look at anybody who's achieved any type of greatness, no matter the field, to me, I love watching documentaries of people like that. And yeah. to me, the underlining factor is that person never lost their hunger. Kobe, mm. Kobe's still shooting a thousand shots a day, you know, even after he's gotten MVP and won won the game. It's just not losing that hunger to be to be better. So say again, you keep your hunger by just being you said an awareness. What how do you keep that? I think it, yeah, I know an awareness that I don't ever want to get complacent. Yeah. And I think God in his grace has given me some, hey, wake up, you're getting you're getting comfortable. Right. <laughs> Moments yeah. he'll he'll do that. Yeah. So yeah. For you in uh the field of, of work that you're in, what do you think is is one of the areas that people most misunderstand about what you do? There's a lot of communicators, I think, especially in the church world, pastors, preachers. Yeah, yeah. Easily misunderstood put in a box yeah yeah i think it's doing it for the applause of man Mm -hmm. and the approval of other people again it's one of the verses i always just go back to it's just looking at jesus right who's our template who's our model i just think the power of that opening moment when he's being baptized and it comes from the Father. And he says, this is my beloved son mm-hmm. in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. I just think you have to have that approval from heaven and in going into your divine call. That was the opening thing before Jesus ever did a miracle, before he went to the cross. I think God knew I mean, he, what Jesus was going to go through, and he had to hold on 
yeah. to that approval for his father. And I think sometimes, even today, like we're preaching for amens. And, right. and I know, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes when I'm preaching, if I don't get the response I'm wanting, I'm like, uh, oh, man, they were they were quiet. They didn't, yeah. they didn't like it, not knowing that, man, the apostles and the people before us, their, their reward was to be stoned. You know, yeah. <laughs> their reward was to get imprisoned and to be whipped and beaten. And so I think so many, so many times if you're not careful, you can go into it. Because, again, you want to care for people and you want to minister to people, which that's got to be a huge factor. If you care about preaching more than you care about people, you're never going to be an effective yeah. uh, communicator. But I think just getting back to where does my approval, where does my validation come from? And I think yeah. a lot of people miss that. They think I'm doing this. Also, people will like me. Also, they'll walk away from the service and go, oh, that was the most amazing thing I've ever heard, as opposed to walking away going, man, what an amazing savior that we Right. That we have, and I think if you ever get that out of whack, you're not you're not going to be effective. Right for you, you know, one of the things that you do in preaching is obviously you're communicating to a group of people that there's a lot of them in the room that may not think like you, and uh, you know, a lot of the things that you're putting out, people that are far from God, trying to you know, as, as a preacher would, trying to get them to see their need yeah, yeah. for God. How do you how do you approach that table? Yeah, you know. That's what this is what I love though. I think sometimes for for a season I would uh I would think I would always have to come across across that uh that type of person uh-huh. that my apologetics had to be strong and sound and I and I think they do, but I think if you really think about it, we have an advantage uh-huh. because I think in every human there is a God sized hole. There is this void that has to be that has to be filled. And so when I Helping that, that really changed the course of preaching for me, realizing that I already have an advantage because no matter how somebody wants to front and pretend, there's something on the inside of them that wants something more mm-hmm. than what they're living out right now. So operating from that premise has helped me a lot. I think um, when you're preaching and when you're speaking, putting your feet in the shoes of the listener. Yeah. Is huge, almost, if I can say this, maybe even more sometimes than the text. Mm. Because I think if you're not careful, and I can lean towards this, there's a lot of preachers and speakers who've gotten so good at speaking to Christians, and they speak Christianese, that they don't even know how to speak to humanity. And if you can learn, somebody told me this that I'll never forget, a preacher that I so revere, and he said, Robert, learn how to speak to humanity. If you learn how to speak to humanity, not just Christians, you'll always have an audience. You look at people who aren't believers, Tony Robbins, people are paying a whole lot of money to hear this man yeah, speak right. and Oprah is many people mm-hmm. want to and even church you want to castigate her but if you look she's learned yeah. how to speak to humanity and so for me it's very helpful to have relationships to have people in my life that are broken that are in a journey who don't think like I think and me putting my feet in their shoes and feeling what humanity feels so then when I approach a text I'm not looking at it through the lens of just a believer I'm looking at it through the lens of somebody who doesn't believe it or who's walking through some pain how is this going to speak to them so i think always being mindful of who my audience is and listening and thinking when i'm writing a message not how is this going to sound to me how's it going to sound to their ears Mm -hmm. after i speak it you know when you talk about that putting yourself in someone else's shoes it seems like that lesson you know even transcends that of you know speaking and things like that preaching it's kind of like a lost art of humanity. Absolutely. It's one thing we're not good at is empathy, Absolutely. understanding a person's journey. We get on the bandwagon of just wanting to be right. How important do you think that whole idea is 
And for you, if that's something that you do every, you know, every time that you prepare a message or you're preparing something to share with a group of people, you know, if there's anything that we can do to better understand each other as the human race, even yeah. outside the context of faith and religion right. and pursuit of all things that are, you know, that come from a place of conviction, how do you, how do you do that? And what would be maybe some, I don't know, guides that you would say we could use as a society to be better at that? Yeah, I think humility is one. I think we live in a, in a culture where everybody's so prideful. You know, social media and all that is funny because it gives everybody a platform. Mm -hmm. So everybody's prideful. Everybody has their own audience. Everybody is so quick to say what they want to say. Yeah. People aren't even listening to other people they're actually waiting to talk yeah and so for me it starts with a place of humility realizing that i do not know it all yeah that i am flawed that i am still in process too i think humility is huge i think hanging out with people that are different than you you yeah. have to be intentional about finding people who do not think like you think, yeah. who do not process like you process. If you're the smartest person in your circle, or if everybody in your circle says, ooh, that's good when you say something, you got the wrong circle. You need some people that challenge you. And it's uncomfortable, but you need to find some people that are totally different than you and be intentional about those relationships. I love the relationships of people that I meet who do not think like I think. And you have mm -hmm. to fight for it, especially what, what I do, because I'm always in churches all the time. So me and my wife, we are so into she's better at it than I am of just pulling people in our life who, whether it be like somebody I can agree on fashion, you know, yeah. like we love to shop. And so we found that there's been so many relationships that we have with people that we go, you know, to a store and they work there and they see us in, all the time and they're shopping. And yeah, maybe one day they will come to a service, but we just love the relationship that we have. We're just talking to them when we go and they're talking about fashion, but they wouldn't believe anything that I believe. So I think humility and uh, and just being intentional about your relationships and making sure that there's people that don't think like you yeah. is huge. It's funny because uh, I don't know if it's human nature or what, but there is a tendency. There's other, There's most times in conversation agenda behind our words absolutely yeah, you yeah. know so especially with i think man again our context in a lot of ways is church i think it's one area that the church has to do a heck of a lot better in right this idea of being willing to go on a journey with people yes. to have conversation without the goal of me getting to my point right yeah so exactly. you see things the way that i see them yeah most people don't think that to have a conversation with somebody about fashion to understand where they're coming from and get yeah. and just end it there. That right. that's part of that's part of the big picture and the big plan too. Exactly. And I think it goes back to me to the humility thing. Because I think some of us when we have those conversations and our end goal is like, okay, I gotta I gotta get them saved. That's the end that's the end goal. I yeah. think in a, in many ways it's a pride that we think that we are the power and not the gospel. Yeah. Paul says, I I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power, just the good news in and of itself. And it's so funny, like growing up, you know, talking to church people, like, yeah, I had a conversation with somebody, my son was like, did you, did you lead them in the prayer? Right. Like, That's the end yeah. goal so many times when I'm like. Right, or, oh. your, or your conversation was less than if you didn't. If you didn't, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, there you go. Didn't count, that, good didn't for count. nothing. Now that person will never <laughs> yeah. have an encounter. Right. That was your moment to draw the hook. And I just think our God is bigger than that. Yeah. I think just engaging people in, in conversation. I mean, look at, look at Jesus, he's fully God, he's fully man. I just love one of my favorite encounters is how he encounters the woman at the well and just begins conversation say hey will you give me a drink just mm -hmm. engages her on yeah. the level of hey will you give me a drink and now we, we're gonna get to 
right. the prophetic, hey, I know you have five right. husbands and the one you're with now, but he didn't come out the gate with that. He just took time to sit and talk to her. And I think, you know, if we can get back to that, it'd be huge. Being a person that has, I mean, has extreme conviction about the things that you believe, how do you separate that from being able to, at the same time while having conviction, being able to engage in authentic relationships with people that are different than you? Yeah, yeah. I think it's knowing that it's that while I have my convictions, it's not my job to convict. Mm-hmm. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's yeah. my job just to love, love, love that person and let the Holy Spirit do its work. I always say you cannot clean a fish before you catch it. Yeah. Again, that kind of goes, I hate to use that illustration because it kind of goes back to the, you know, the ideology of, oh, I, I have a hook of something. But yeah. it's a reality that, hey, I'm, I'm not trying to convict you. I'm not trying to change you. I can't change anybody, but I can just love somebody where they're at and still hold on to my conviction and to know that kindness is not an endorsement yeah. for somebody's lifestyle. I yeah. think sometimes, like, that's how crazy believers have gotten. We think that yeah. to be kind to somebody that is totally opposite of our belief system is to endorse what they're doing. And that's, and, and that's uh, to me, that's when you get on a slippery slope and you get the psychos who are holding signs saying God hates <laughs> right, right, right. the homosexual community or, right. you know, God can't stand you because you had an abortion or whatever the issue is. I think that's when you get on that slippery slope to, the, to think that, man, I can't be kind to somebody because my kindness is an endorsement of a lifestyle that I might not necessarily, that I don't agree with. So yeah. I, yeah, I think we can just get back to that. Just being kind of like, it's nice to be nice is yeah. what my grandmama used to say, which is like an old little simple adage, but it's, it's true. Well, don't you ever think, I mean, I think about it too, along the lines of, you know, there's people that don't think like I do, but what's interesting about the human experience is there's people who have just as much conviction about the things that they think that they believe right. yeah. as I do about the things that I believe. Right. So to put myself in a place of superiority, I you know, I have to own my convictions, right. but yeah, my yeah. convictions are for me. Absolutely. You know, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think that it's you're you're right. You get on a slippery slope when you try to become the convictor right. yeah, of yeah, other yeah. people, understanding that they're on their journey and God understands their journey. Yeah. greater than I ever could, Absolutely. right? I mean, I think about my journey myself, the times in my life that I, you know, had convictions that maybe aren't even the same and as today, they are today. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so true. Isn't it interesting? Like, even absolutely. your convictions change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The things 100%. that you're like 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. about today, yeah. you may think differently down the road. But how, isn't it interesting how much of the time we spend trying to police other people's convictions or right. you should, you know, behave differently or act differently or see things my way right. if you want to be right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know, so true. It's interesting to jump on that on that bandwagon for you in uh, in preaching especially because you are a person who speaks with conviction and has to follow the things that are obviously in your heart i think that um it's probably surprising to some maybe even listening that they're you know because you're like a hunt this is the way Right, but then yeah. you respect people's choice to right. choose a different way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, how do how do you how do you deal with that, or maybe the criticism that you would get for that yeah. from people that would say, "Well, you're you're watering it down, or you're not sticking to, you're not practicing what you preach, or gotcha. you're not, you know, those are your you you've told us what your convictions are, exactly. You know, but you don't project those onto others. Seeing that people who see that, because there's a lot of people that do, right, right, no, absolutely. Yeah, how do yeah. you? 
I always, I always go to the, just the life of Jesus. If you look at how Jesus was, he was, I mean, he was very different in how he approached his audience. To me, it goes always back to respect for who is my audience, who am I speaking to. Mm-hmm. Jesus talked to the Pharisees totally different than he talked to somebody who was an outcast or a sinner. And I think some people don't realize that there is an art to conversation with humanity. Mm. There's an art to it. Um, you cannot, your message can be the same, but your method and how you talk to people is going to be totally different. If you were to tell me that I'm going to speak to your kids' ministry tonight, there's mm-hmm. going to be a total right. different way I'm going to approach the children than I'm going to approach the adults. I'm not watering down my message, but if I get up and I start trying to talk theology and eschatology with, yeah. I, I'm disrespecting those kids. So I think to me, it's leaning on the Holy Spirit to know what does this moment need irrespective of what somebody who's trying to project what they think I should do or think that yeah. I'm deviating from my core message is trusting the Holy Spirit to know what does this moment need and what does this audience need because you can have the exact same message but the way that you the method in which you do it is is totally different I use the McDonald's you know illustration right. like if you go to if you if you put in front of a kid a pot roast a slice of bread and some mashed potatoes and a glass of Coca-Cola, he's yeah. not going to be excited about that at all. He's not going to jump up and down. But you take that same little pot roast, you make it a patty, you take that sliced <laughs> bread, you make it sesame seed, you take the mashed yeah. potatoes, don't mash it, you cut them up and you fry them bad boys, you put it in a colorful box and you put a prize on the inside, inside of a building with golden arches, two billion people serve. And the content never changed. Mm. It's just the method and the way you presented it. I didn't, it's the exact same kind. So to me, that's how I see how I see the gospel and how our generation is realizing that, okay, we want to be as wise as a serpent, but as gentle as a dove. And I want to respect my audience enough to know what does this particular audience mean? And I'm not downgrading my conviction just because I changed the method. Right. Uh, which so I what does it mean for you to respect your audience? It's to know where they're coming from, to mm-hmm. know who they are, to know who's the, in the room. Um, there's a, a saying in communication that if you ask an amateur speaker to speak, his first thought will be, what am I going to say? Mm. If you ask a professional, his first thought will be, who's my audience? Mm. And so that's just sitting where your audience sits, thinking about what your audience is thinking about. To me, that's, that's respect and, and speaking to where they are, being relevant uh, to where they are. Yeah. For anybody who's, you know, platform or audience increases there's going to be increase of maybe criticism haters things like that how do you navigate those waters the, the haters right <laughs> it's so funny i i think we all do have have haters but i think sometimes this whole hater thing yeah. it, it just trips me out because i think it's sometimes it just gets it gets too far to the point. Oh, they all hate. They are, everybody's they a all hater. No, everybody's a <laughs> hater. And it, it to me, it goes back to the the humility thing. Yeah. Anybody has a different opinion than they're you. A hater. They're a hater. <laughs> Haters gonna uh, hate. They, yeah, they don't, don't think, think like, like I think. Me. Yeah, they're a hater. No, they just have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. There's some people who are hating on you. They're just jerks. You is know? it that easy for you though? <laughs> I mean, is it that easy for you when people, I mean, criticize? Is that oh? I mean, no, to, like, it's, I mean, are there moments it affects me? Absolutely. That's yeah. part of the reason I have to have seasons where I just get off of social media, man, because it's amazing how one little comment can yeah. make me just go off right. of a stranger who yeah. I don't, don't, even, know. don't even know. It's so funny. I was watching an interview with 
Eddie Murphy, and he, somebody asked him if he had social media, and he was like, no. He's mm-hmm. like, that's crazy. And they're like, why? He's like, that's like letting a stranger in my car as I'm driving down the highway to say the craziest thing out of me and then just get out the door and shut the door. Yeah. It's like, man, that is so true, just all right. these outside voices. So no, I mean, I'm human, absolutely. There are moments where I'm like, okay, I need to give this person a piece of my mind. But I just I just go back to knowing knowing who I am, knowing the voices in my life who I care about, who have the bigger voice. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, somebody said that, you know, success is when the people who know you the most love you the most. And so if I, to me, as long as I come back to my core, my wife, my kids, people around me who truly know who I am and knowing who I am in Christ, those are the two things. If I can just get back to that, which is hard when a hater comes in and says something crazy that you know is not you, yeah. but just coming back to the core of people, hey, who actually know me as opposed to a stranger. How do you do, how do you decide what is the appropriate time to respond and what type is not? Mm. Or do you not? What is your stance on that? That's interesting. Because if I, to be honest, if I lean towards any emotion, it's to not respond mm-hmm. at all. Um, there's a there's a a guy that said, you know, every night a bunch of dogs bark at the moon, but if and nobody cares about it, but if one night the moon decided to bark back at the dogs, it'd be on the front page of the paper. Right. <laughs> so I just I, I've always I love that illustration because yeah. it just fits more to my DNA that I usually don't even give somebody the belief that their opinion counts enough because it would escalate it. Yeah. Because because, it would. Yeah. But then there's some, but there are some moments and I think it's an art form, not a science, but there are some moments where I feel like, okay, me responding to this in love and with the right words can actually help that person and help somebody that's seeing the attack or, or what they said with the right words to do it. But there's some things. And again, it would be a, scenario by scenario situation and me just trying to say okay there's i don't know it'd be a, I think it'd be an art more than a science do you find that the criticism or going through those things does it ever make you be hesitant in what you put out um so it's, i would say sometimes yeah because i think you know there's also this belief today in the world and even in christian that just because you have a thought it needs to be put out. I yeah. think that's the dumbest thing ever. It's like, yeah. oh, you're not being real if you didn't. No, sometimes it's just being gracious. It's being wise. There's yeah. some things I think you don't need don't need to say. So I think not necessarily because of criticism, but I am just very pensive and mindful when I put something out as to how it's going to affect, you know, affect somebody else. But uh, but I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't say it's not not for, not because of criticism because if. You're, if you if you're processing everything out of who's going to hate on you or be a criticism, you'll never say anything, do anything, or be anything. But I do think this notion of whatever comes to your mind, just put it out there and speak. It's absolutely crazy. I do yeah. think you need to think before you post, think before you <laughs> before yeah. you speak. Do you find it difficult being um, in the Christian world as a preacher communicator? You communicate one thing, people oftentimes hear their own version of what you communicate and have a tendency to project what they heard onto you or expect you to be in a certain fit into a certain political category or certain box based upon you saying you said you were a Christian. Right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And if you're a Christian, you surely have to fit into this box or that box 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How no, do you deal with that? It's so funny, man, because you see it all the time. I, I love it. And either way, sometimes I'll post about something that I'm, you know, that I am passionate about. Yeah. And, or I'll see somebody else who like took a stand on something because, you know, that's just the reality. Social media has to keep coming up because it's just our generation. And I'll see somebody post about some issue or something. And I'll see somebody say, oh, thank you for taking a stand. Right. Don't say anything. Yeah. And I'm thinking, OK, some there are people who don't even have social media accounts who are doing more behind the scenes yeah. on that actual issue. And that person just could have posted it and not looked a second, you know, looked at it again. So it's. It's, it's just funny. Just it's coming back to the core value of who you are, mm-hmm. um, knowing what you're called to do, and that's the thing. And having the grace to know that just because I'm passionate about something doesn't mean you got to be passionate about it. That's the beauty of the human experience: is that somebody can be passionate about something else and still be a believer. And God uniquely gave that person that passion because that is an ill in the world that needs to be fixed. So in the same way that I respect other people that have their passions, I expect mine to be respected too. And when it's not, I can let it roll off my shoulder because I know we were all uniquely given our own passions. And Mm -hmm. those passions actually point us to our purpose. If there's anything I love to get back to even in preaching and speaking is getting people to find what is the thing that you were put on this earth to do? What is the thing? There's a reason why that breaks your heart. There's a reason why that gets you excited. I always say that emotions are terrible dictators, but they're great indicators. They should mm. check your emotions. And why does why do you feel a certain way about that thing? Because somebody else doesn't feel as passionate about it, even though it's a huge issue in the world. But God might have uniquely given you that passion yeah. because he's called you to correct it. And so I, I operate from that premise. I don't, I don't ever really get bothered by somebody saying, oh, I thought you you should be passionate right, about right. that. I was like, no, God's given me a passion in the lane of which I'm doing, and he's given you one too. Go find it, because it's not just <laughs> criticizing other people. Right. Know? Do yeah. something with yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do you draw the line, though, between being gracious and being limited by the perception or control or I'm avoiding, I'm, a, I'm not going to say this or put this out just because I don't want to have to deal with the backlash of it. I mean, think about uh, just case in point, uh, even with you and your wife on social media um, at the ending term of the Obamas, right. posting a thank you to them, which mm-hmm. I think is incredible and awesome. Right, yeah, yeah. But the backlash that you get from people in that regard specifically, does that make you hesitant in the future to, to, to do things like that? Not just standing up for, not just standing up against injustice, but right. appreciating you know, heritage and history and what people have done to actually get, you know, get us to the place that we're at. No, because it, no, it it doesn't make me hesitant because again, if it's back to the core value of who I am and a conviction. So like for that example, there's plenty of things just like any president that their policies I didn't agree with and policies I did agree with. But I do know to sit in that seat as the president of these United States of America for two terms is a huge responsibility, is a huge weight that I don't think any of us have any context for or know what it takes to do it. So for me, I'm always going to honor leadership. And to me, honor is such a huge value that absolutely I'm going to post without fear or hesitancy of what anybody's 
thinking because to me, a core value is honor. And then a post like that, I'm not saying I agree with every right. policy President Obama had. I'm saying, no, thank you mm -hmm. for your leadership. Right. And I know it was a huge sacrifice, sleepless nights that it took for you to lead this nation and any president. And I would you know, do it again. So I think, yeah, if I go I, to answer the question, I don't think I have any hesitancy when I know it's a core value. Yeah. It comes mind. from an internal yeah, yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not bandwagony or I should right. do this because it's what I should do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's got to be a core value for me. And when I can, if I can sleep at night and say, hey, at the end of the day, this is a core value and principle that I have, then I'll, I'll deal with whatever somebody might say. What are your thoughts on, I mean, I think it's kind of trendy and highly encouraged. People who have uh, influence platforms through social media or in the world uh, there's a lot being said about using those platforms that maybe, you know, you have somebody that has a platform because they're a comedian or somebody that has a platform because they're an actor or a leader or a politician or a preacher. Mm -hmm. Then you also have the pressure, which comes in the form of it's your responsibility if you have those platforms to use them to stand up to fight against things like injustice, to give voice to people that don't have voice. Um, where do you stand as far as your personal, I don't know, opinion, convictions uh, about that, about using your platform for those kinds of things that cross outside of the, you know, the confinements or the boundaries of your trade? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's a hard one for me. In fact, one of the things that comes to mind, you know, in our current context, so I was literally just watching this today, um, they were attacking the Dallas Cowboys uh, quarterback Dak Prescott because yeah. he personally believed that, you know, the NFL is not a place to bring, or the anthem rather, is not a place to, you know, bring the protests of the social justice issues and different things like that. And he's just being attacked mm -hmm. like crazy right. for it. And it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard for me because it's that balance between I do think anybody that has a platform does need to use your platform because to whom much is given, much is required. So you do need to use your platform to speak against things, but at the same time, I just think that we have to be so careful as a society to start throwing attacks towards people when you don't know yeah. the behind the scenes conversation, you don't know what it even takes for that person to have that platform. So I just always really err towards the side of just grace and having grace on that person and say, hey, maybe there's a reason behind the scenes that I don't know why that person is not saying mm -hmm. what I think they should say. But I've just always operated from the premise is I don't get to tell somebody, you know, what they should speak on or what they should say and how, or how they should use their platform because that's their platform. For me, my platform at the end of the day, I'm going to be held accountable for the platform I've been given and I'm not going to be held accountable to other people, but to God. And so I want to steward mine well, but yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a slippery slope, you know. Yeah. It, uh, I shouldn't say slippery slope. It's just a tension. It's a tension. Yeah, that I don't I don't necessarily know if I know the answer. Or where do you where resolved. for you are you draw are you currently drawing the boundaries? It's, I mean, politics, for example, you know, fighting against the, you know whether it be immigration or things like that that you see children yeah, being yeah. separated from their parents and things like that. Gotcha. A lot of people are being pushed to if you have a voice, use it. Absolutely. Do you choose to engage in those issues? There's sometimes I do, and but to me, I always come back to okay, what can I do? Mm -hmm. Not just in a post, not just in a tweet. What can I do 
practically in my community, in the lane that God has given me. It's easy for me to pick any topic like abortion and say, oh, man, we've got to do better, da-da-da-da. Yeah, post about it. But our church has done something that has been absolutely incredible that we've gotten a a chance to be a part of. It's called Hope Mansion. Our church purchased a mansion that was foreclosed in our Mm -hmm. community, renovated it, has like 14 rooms in it, and we actually have a space for young girls in the community who have had children, had babies, and we have an option for them to say, hey, come in this house, we take care of them, take care of their kids, and it becomes a transition place for them to get back on their feet, as opposed to just posting something or shouting about something. To me, that's a practical way that our church has said, hey, let's actually do something about it, not just tweet about it, not just hashtag about something. So that's a house, and right now we have like 12 girls that home right now who are pregnant some have babies and they're there and they have a place that they can come and find safety and have actually have an option so when their back is against the wall they don't feel like my only option is to have an abortion so to me just action is is huge take the athlete thing for instance there are a lot of people who say hey man every athlete should take a knee during the anthem i think that is there if that's the way you want to do that's awesome that's Awesome is in the word, but that, if that's how they want to bring an awareness to the issue, yeah. I think that's their way of using their using platform, their platform, using their platform, which I think is good in a sense. But I also love that couple with a LeBron James, who this week opened up his own school right. to help disenfranchised students, and is actually you know taking action. So I think both we need awareness, we need protest, but we also need action. Yeah. To me, it, the gospel is action. It just what are you what are you doing? Not just posting. What are you actually doing? That's what I always. Lean towards. There are times where we do need to raise up our voice, post about it, but there's also times you just need to get your hands dirty and say, okay, what can I right. do? It seems it? to me that that awareness, you know, we talk about things becoming cliche or becoming just rhetoric. It seems like awareness is easily becoming a, the great illusion. Right, yes. That because I posted about it, that I'm <laughs> yeah, actually doing, doing something, something to solve it. the it's issue. That's so true. Yeah, yeah. And, and whether it, I mean, I think that there's there's so many things that mirror this. People, you know, a, a school shooting happens, everybody yeah. gets passionate about right. gun control and right. all of those things that I would agree we need to have conversations about. But who is taking personal responsibility to have conversation with your children who are sitting up in their bedroom exactly. alone trying to navigate through identity issues in life and just figuring out who who they right. are yeah, which yeah. you know eventually kind of put people in a place to um, to struggle with themselves I, I just think that we have to do more yeah than just bring awareness absolutely like it can be the birthplace of change but right. if you don't take the next step 100 <laughs> percent yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. so many. I mean, so many people are judged based upon. I mean, exactly what you're talking about. How much awareness are you bringing? But I think the the other question that has to be posed for those that are bringing awareness: how much is that awareness is actually leading yeah. to action? And that's going to be the challenge I think of our generation because it's so trendy. It's so yeah. cool to have awareness and to post about it. But I think we've got to move from right. the awareness to action. Because, like I said, there are some people who hadn't posted one thing, who don't have an Instagram yeah. account, who are doing way more on that issue behind the scenes when nobody is when nobody's watching. The tricky part is that everybody thinks they're doing it, right? right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The tricky part is you think, because I have an opinion right. or because um, you know, I'm, I'm actually actively doing, doing something about it. Yeah, not you know, very true. To be able to move past that. Absolutely. Talking about other things that are... Um, I don't know, kind of prevalent in our society. 
how do you, you know, being a black man married to a, a white woman, a biracial couple in a society where racism, you know, continues to rear its head in different ways, different, whether it be in shootings and things like that or yeah. injustice through, um, you know, certain scenarios and different things like that. Um, do you do you take personal action in regards to maybe not politics, but the specific issue of racism yeah it's it's a uh, it's a sad reality in in the united states and it's it's so funny because sometimes we think that we think that it's an issue there's i think there's two different camps that i see of people who are like oh can we get over this can we just stop talking about it stop talking about it but mm. it's just a reality yeah that's that's happened in this nation that i think we ha that has to be addressed i think one of the ways i mean I'll say this. I think there's a a preacher who I won't say, but when I was getting ready to get married to my to my wife, um, he was like, "Hey, I heard you're engaged to a white girl or about to propose to a white girl." Mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I noticed she is. Yeah, she's yeah. white." He's like, "Man, I just want to let you know that uh, you can do it, but it's gonna really affect your ministry, man." Wow. And this was a preacher that I really like looked up to. Wow. And he was like, "I said, I said it is." He's like, yeah. He's like, I mean, if you if you want to, you can. He's like, I just want to let you know when you get on stage with your wife who's white, you're really going to make white men mad. You're gonna make black women mad. He's like, it's just a reality. And what broke my what broke my heart from hearing that from him was not just the statement, but that it was coming from a believer. Hmm. This was a a Christian. So to me, that is the sad reality: is that in the church world it's so prevalent and so strong. I mean, the world yeah. is the world, because to me, racism is a sin. It's like right. anything else. For, yeah. And people who are saying, I'm ready for racism to go away, well, that's like saying, we're for adultery to go away. Yeah. I'm ready for it. It's, right. it's never going to happen, because sin will be here, and until Jesus comes down, and, you know, it's going to be around. It's gonna be around. So just get comfortable with it. Now, there's steps we need to do to, to change it, especially as it relates to society and laws and prison system and all kinds of things like that but uh that's that's to me what was really heartbreaking about the situation that this was a pastor this was a leader who was telling me that and to me especially in the church that's what i think we have got to do a whole lot better and martin luther king said that the most segregated hour of the day is 12 o'clock in the in the church mm. and so that's what i think healing really needs to pl take place that if we are really saying that we are a, a one god one savior one lord what are we doing in the church world to make it better and i think me and my wife just in living our lives and being married and not really caring what anybody thinks has has been a huge statement of testament especially in in the south in dallas texas yeah. you know where i'm at why do you why do you think that that is if you I mean the church supposed to be you know built on the message of christ you would yeah. think that 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 we'd be more active or proactive in policing ourselves and right. thinking yeah. about what we don't think about which is in a large form about what this podcast is about getting you if you don't agree with the things that are said at least you leave thinking about it right yeah why do you think the church world struggles with that so much of all people yeah yeah because i think we in the same way, we just go to our tribes. It's so yeah. easy to go back to like what's comfortable for us, and we're we're tribal people by nature. I'm, there's a setting in the, there's settings in churches where I'm going to be more comfortable because I come from a Pentecostal background, and I think we're always looking for that 
for that comfort. And so when we see that in the church world, that's that's a huge part of it too, is that we just want to be with people that like think like us, that you know look like us because it's comfortable. But I don't think God ever called us to be comfortable. That's part of the thing he did when he came down to earth. He was trying to get the church, the establishment that was so comfortable. Yeah. He flipped some tables and said, hey, this is not, this is not right. I'm a, I've come to disturb your comfort. Right. And so uh, I think that's what it gives. We just get, we get comfortable in the church world and just love to gravitate towards our, towards our own tribes. What do you think needs to happen? How, how do we, you know, you talk about outside of the church, it's going to be a reoccurring theme that as long as we're all here on the face of the planet that we're going to have to continue to toil with inside of the church where yeah. we would say within the context of what we do i mean you have a responsibility to yeah. to sort through it how do we fix the problem i think having conversations with people i think empathy is huge putting your feet in the shoes of of somebody else i think being in a, trying to be intentional not tokenism but being intentional in your church if you if you have a community that is diverse being intentional and engaging that community and have people in your leadership, not just come to your church, but in your leadership and on your team that are diverse. Yeah. Now, if if your if your community is is there, because I've seen some <laughs> some places like some pastors, you know, in travel, they're like, we got to get more Latinos in the church. We got to get more black people in yeah. the church. And it's like, well, the population is like 1% <laughs> in, right. your, in your yeah. city. I mean, you can, but it needs to be reflective <laughs> of the actual right. city that you're in. So I think, again, having being intentional about who you're putting on your staff, who you're putting in your team, conversation that you have. I, I find that some of the most diverse churches are pastors and leaders who have diverse lives. Yeah, It just starts with that. If you have a diverse life, it's amazing how people will gravitate towards a leader whose life is diverse. But if you're always hanging out with the same pastors who look like you and think like yeah. you, it's going to be reflective in your church. So what do those but like what do those conversations look like? Especially with the context of racism, yeah, yeah. which is the issue or a huge issue. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like us sitting here today, me as a white man, you as a black man, how do we what is that conversation even supposed to look like if conversation is the key to tackling some of these? I think Again, if it, I think the way you can't put a, uh, I don't know if you can put a like, okay, this is the format for the conversation for racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. It it should start like any other conversation with any other person. It should just be organic and Mm -hmm. wanting to sit where somebody else sits and engage somebody that's totally different than you. I laugh sometimes at the racial reconciliation conversations right. they have because it's so... Contrived, it's, yeah, not it's genuine. Contra- it's not real setup. and the foot washing ceremonies and all that. It's just... That's odd in Yeah, general, absolutely. Right? So, yeah, it's just... Speak? It's as simple as like somebody that's different you're saying, hey man, let's go to coffee and let's just talk. And if it's amazing how passionate my wife who is white will get about situations because being married to me black, she's seen situations where we've been in a department store and she's been in the store first and they treated her a certain way mm-hmm. and then I come up and I'm like, hey, I'm her husband and she sees the sales clerk yeah. change. So, because she's in relationship with me and when she yeah. sees it, she's able to call it out. And so I think it's just getting in relationship with somebody that's different than you. What, what and, is, that's hard, and that's hard to do. In fact, we were at a marriage conference and somebody was like, oh, what is, what is it like to, you know, be in an interracial relationship? Is it, is it hard? And I said, well, I said, the reality is marriage is the crazy collision of two totally different worlds and ideologies, period. So if you think that to marry somebody that is the same color as you is going to give you a visa on controversy Mm. and conflict, you're crazy. My mom 
is is black. My dad is black, but my dad is from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. He came to the United States of America, met my mom, who is American. They had totally different contexts, totally different cultural backgrounds yeah. that caused tension in their relationship with the same color skin. Yeah. Both are black, but came from totally different worlds and had to work through some things, but were committed wow. to love. And to me, that's what it is. If we can get that premise of, which is why marriages are failing today, if we can get to the premise of, I'm committed to you, Nick. I'm committed to this relationship. I'm committed to loving you no matter what. And I want to engage you in conversation. It's amazing what we can work through, but it's going to take that. People saying, hey, at the end of the day, I'm committed to you by love and and a choice to say I'm for you. Not a contractual relationship, a covenant relationship. A covenant says, I'm with you no matter what. And when you do that with somebody that's different than you, It'll be a natural, organic thing that yeah. you'll realize, oh, man, I have actually a friend who is black, so I have a different viewpoint. Because there's not a black person in America that I know of <laughs> that can not tell you that they've had some type of occurrence with the police. Yeah, Not a black male that I know. Right. Almost every black male that I know has some situation with an officer where, yeah. I mean— it got to my dad taught us. He worked. He worked in the fire department. He taught us that when an officer pulls you over, man, you, yes sir. He said, no matter what they're saying to you, yes sir. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. We had to have that conversation yeah. because that's a reality in this nation. And when you have somebody in your life that's a different color of skin, and you see, like, man, there's. I had people when we had a Sunday at our church where we just kind of talked about the whole thing. My pastor and I. And we talked about it, and there were some people who were like, I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea it was an issue, and it's because they had never engaged in conversation with anybody different than them. So. It's interesting too because sometimes I, I the people that I encounter, I question. It's not even that they have not heard that it's an issue; it's that they don't want to believe that it's an issue. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. those true. are, I mean, those are two really opposing thoughts too because fundamentally there's very few people within the context of i mean the church experience that i'm around that wouldn't say we are about love and acceptance and walking a mile in the other person's shoes so good until the situation arises or something you know runs cross grain to some they don't want to identify that hey if you're not actively a part of the solution then perhaps yeah. There has to be self-evaluation that you could be part of the problem. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's what hurts for communities of color is that when somebody tries to say that this is not valid, that yeah. this has not actually happened, that is the actual sting in it. Uh, there was a, a person being interviewed and they were talking about they were gone through like just molestation and all kinds of stuff in their childhood, a, a lady. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, what was worse than the molestation and the abuse was when I told my mom and she didn't believe it. Wow. She said that was worse. And to me, that articulated how many people of color feel in this nation hmm. is that it's happening. But when people are like, oh, come on, that's 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 not an issue. So you brought up a huge, huge thing. It's sometimes it's just getting people to realize this is an issue because you cannot change what you won't even admit. Yeah, you know, is a problem. So I think yeah, that that that's a great starting point for something. I think I mean one thing issue. that I see too. I, I do think in our culture the word racist is so most people view that word itself as disgusting. Right. Yeah. yeah. So for someone within the context of being a person who has fundamental values of acceptance and love and appreciation for all cultures and people to cons- even open my mind to fathom or consider that there may be racism 
in me because I associate it with the word that I see as so disgusting. Oh yeah, people go to the extremity. It's, it's like a racist. Oh, it's like okay, There's I gotta no have a, yeah, yeah. I have a, I don't have a sheet on my head. I'm not burning right. that's, crosses. That's, that's not that's, me. Yeah, but like it's to me. And I, I, this is again, if it's open podcast, yeah. give me overt. Yeah. Racism than the covert racism, like what one person called the lowercase oh. KKK. Like, <laughs> it's this idea that you don't even realize. I, I always tell people, here's one good litmus test if you want to check. Can your child marry somebody of a different race? Yeah. If you can honestly say they don't have, you can marry somebody and you don't have an issue in it. If, if, if they marry somebody of a different culture, different race, and something in you comes on this side, that's a good check. Because sometimes, you know, racism can be like bad breath. You're the last person to know, you know, that you have it. And that's anything. I've met some, I met some black people that some of the racist people, yeah. <laughs> the most racist people I ever met, met. Like some looks I've gotten being with a white woman from, you know, from black, from black people. It's like, oh man, how dare you? Da, 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 da. So it's just something like saying like anything. Sometimes you don't even realize it's right. there. And sometimes you got to God to let you go through some situations and let the Holy Spirit show you, oh, this is in your heart. Hey, don't be offended that it's been exposed. Fix it and correct it. Yeah. When you talk about overt versus covert, how do you, how do you define those? What is the difference? Uh, covert. It's it's almost like, especially being black, you can't even put a put a word. You can just you can sense it. It's uh-huh. um. It's in me being you know upgraded. Mm-hmm. to a to a first class flight and the the Caucasian gentleman which has happened several times sitting next to me in first class so uh you're a rapper yeah so you uh wow. so who do you play for like wow. that is the ultimate assumption wow. so it's 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 just the subtlety of that it's in our prison systems it's in the conviction that the sentencing that a young black boy will get versus what a yeah. a white kid that did the same thing. It's in the news stories and the way it's spun. Troubled teen when it's a white kid in the shooting. Yeah. Thug yeah. when it's uh, which is very black, real. Yeah, and very absolutely. Every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So that, that it's the subtlety, the way stories are spun, the where thing, the way things are talked about. So to me, that's the covert versus the over, which is what people will ultimately go to and say, right. oh, that's why I'm not racist, the KKK, yeah, yeah. the Blatant. lynching, the, all that. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, getting people to see it fundamentally, to me, is the greatest challenge. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting. You talk about it doesn't matter what race you are, that racism can dwell inside of the heart of any human being despite race, because I think it's one of those things that every seed reproduces after its own kind. Yeah. And racism creates more racism. So if you're a white man who hates a black man, eventually because the black man feels threatened by you, he in turn hates the white man. And so right. we all end up being racist towards each other and have no platform for empathy or conversation or right. willingness to be able to even evaluate. We still see each other as they're the problem. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 100%. And I think that's the gift. Of, it's... And I honestly believe, again, coming from a, a Christian context, is that I do believe that the Holy Spirit will give you op- opportunities for your eyes to be open mm-hmm. to see this is an issue. And to me, it's what you do after that. Because sometimes you can't know what you do not know. 
Yeah. Because you haven't walked in the shoes of that person. Beth Moore did a recent article that I thought was absolutely brilliant. And she just talked about some of her struggles in being a woman wow. in ministry. Conversations that she had, statements that were made. Oh, you're pretty, you're a you're a pretty, you're prettier than this female mm. speaker. Or, oh, that was a great message for a woman. And different statements, just different subtleties. She had a bunch of different nuances in the article that I had no idea or no context for because I've never been in a green room as a woman. And she just talked about some of the challenges, some of the statements that made me go, wow, I had no idea that's what you walk through. And now I am very careful with what I say. And every moment I get, if I see any young girl, I just did this at a church a while ago, I was preaching at this conference and the pastor's daughter um, was in the room preaching to the to kids at the conference and I took a good eight minutes on stage publicly affirming that girl who's like 17, 16 years yeah. old, just saying, you're incredible. You're phenomenal because I don't, we don't have a lot of female. And again, what we do a lot of female voices, not because they aren't there, but it's because it's kind of a good old boys club. And some of us may need to get out the way and let some of these incredible female voices rise up yeah. and preach. But I would have had no idea that that's what you walk through until I read that article and yeah. what she said and I, I realized what she faced. So sometimes you can't know what you what you don't know, but once your eyes once are, you see it. Once you see it, it's like the gospel. Once you see it, you now have a responsibility for what you've been made aware of. Well too, I mean you talk about her being willing to share that. At some point she had to become aware, you know, fully aware based upon her experience to be right. able to give voice to it. When you understand someone's journey, to me that's where your your awareness and passion for the issue has to translate into some sort of action in what you can do, which is more than just barking about racism being an issue. Right. Yeah, I yeah. think it comes down to being willing then to be, if, if you are not actively a part of the solution, then yeah. you, you're, you're not contributing to the solution. Right. You're a part of the problem in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So for me, even as a white male, this is an area you know I'm extremely passionate about, but I, I feel a responsibility yeah. that I have to talk to other white men about yeah, how yeah. racism is an issue. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't go talk to a black man and tell him how he needs to adjust his view of the white man. Exactly, yeah, but yeah. I can talk to the white man about how you need to consider your ways and how you're viewing other people's other exactly. cultures, other ethnicities, and and owning responsibility of that. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. I think because I mean you talk about I, I I brought this up one time actually in a church service with our uh, congregation, but the whole idea of you know you talk about the conversation that your parents had to have with you regarding a police officer. If you're a white person who says that you oppose racism but you have never had a conversation with your children about their role in combating it if you are not of uh if you're not for example for me if i'm not talking with my white kids yeah. about racism and i'm expecting well you know black parents are going to talk with their kids about the issue it doesn't get better exactly. unless everybody takes active 100% yeah active responsibility absolutely yeah yeah and then like you said that's i love that because it starts in your house, in your home, things are learned. Every culture, every family has a culture. Things are picked up. And so I think even just that personal responsibility of me saying, okay, as a parent or as a pastor, you know, in my church, I'm going to do what I can with the sphere of influence I can. I can't change the whole world. I can't do this or that. But in my sphere of influence, I can do something and find out what it was. I think that's that's a healthy start. So what you said, admitting there's an issue. Right. And then everybody going, okay, now that we know that there is, 
what can I personally do in my sphere of influence yeah. that can help better? Does the it? Situation? You talk about it starting in your home. What is that? What do you think that's going to look like for you in the future with your kids? I mean, your kids are young now. Yeah. Will there will there be conversations? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the things we just start with, you know, telling them even already is that you know as. In our household, we're always we're loving people. We're looking for the lonely yeah. person in the room, um, and it's. I mean, we're getting out of three or two, so holler at me when the when I'm further along <laughs> in the journey. But yeah. I, I try to just find little moments to uh, to shape their worldview. We were watching The Grinch, and my daughter was like, "I hate The Grinch. I don't like him. He's mean." I was like, "Well, is he mean, mm-hmm. or did he just need some friends?" Yeah. <laughs> She's like, no, he's mean. I was like, no, I think the Grinch just needed some people to be nice to him. Yeah, Just some people to give him a hug. Sometimes people aren't just mean. They just need somebody to love them. She's like, so the Grinch is not bad? I said, no. Yeah. I said, he just needs somebody to love him. Yeah. So just even little things like that, I'm trying to do what I can in whatever conversation with my daughter. My, the other day, my daughter, again, they're mixed, so her hair naturally yeah. froze out. And Taylor, the other day, my wife straightened it out. She straightened it out and she was like, Daddy, my hair is my hair's so pretty because she was moving it like that. I said, sweetheart, your hair is always pretty. Yeah. It's pretty no matter what, whether it's straight or whether it's a fro. And see, that's why I, there was a white friend. He's like, what's the big deal about Black Panther? Like, why is everybody making a big deal about yeah. it? And I was like, it's called representation. Huh. Because when you're a black kid and all you've seen is a white Superman and a white Batman, and now all of a sudden you see this black superhero that yeah. looks just like you. That's a big deal right. to go, that's somebody that looks like me that's doing something great. Representation is huge. And so even with my daughter, some she thinks already at three has a context that pretty hair is hair that can shake yeah. and move that comes out. I'm like, no, 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 sweetheart. Whether it's furrowed out or whether it's straight, your hair is pretty, period. Yeah. Like that. So just stuff like that, again, we're, we're early in the journey right. but I'm trying to find those moments where I go okay this is an opportunity to shape their framework and shape their little eyes to it's interesting you you almost don't see I've never I just I think even right now seeing how early on that starts yeah. belittling things that you don't understand or that you don't you oh, don't yeah. see you know you, you don't see how early it's programmed from childhood oh absolutely you know? Absolutely. And that's why even what you were saying, it starts in the home. You know, if you're passionate about any type of social injustice and you really want to make a difference, right? Yeah, exactly. Start at home. Right. Absolutely. What's that? We even have this in one of the rooms in our house, the Mother Teresa quote that says, you want to go change the world, go home and love your family. Wow. Because it just, it really, we can just start right there. And I think that's why the enemy, not to get super spiritual, but that's why the enemy attacks families and yeah. homes and all that, because yeah. if it could start there, it's amazing the change that'll Take place. And that, I mean, that's where I even come full circle to what we talked about in the beginning, why empathy and putting yourself in someone else's shoes is so important. Because yeah. once you get grown and you're past all of those things, you already think that you know. No, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you say, what's the big deal with exactly <laughs> right. what you're saying? What, what is the big deal? And that's why stopping to listen, yeah, having conversation, having empathy, walking in somebody else's shoes is so, you know, so important. No, absolutely, man. Yeah. For you, when you look towards your future, um, have you been the kind of guy that's always kind of set goals and reached towards them? Or are you of the mentality of just kind of doing what's in your in your hand to do today? What does that look like for you? Um, yeah, I definitely have have. I'm more of definitely of a short term goal yeah. person. I've never been the guy 
you know, it's like, what's your 10 year right, plan? Right. Like, homie, <laughs> I'm trying to get through <laughs> the yeah. next 10 months, you know? Yeah. So I'm definitely a short term uh, person than I am a long term person. One, one quote that I've always loved that says, you know, write your plans in pencil, but write your convictions in pen. Wow. And so uh, to You're me, a quote the, machine. Have I told you? I mean, I don't know how many quote bombs you dropped in this conversation, but it's been a few. Oh, my gosh. But it's uh, so true, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, plans can change. Me and my wife and I said, oh, we're going to wait five years before we have kids. Hello, three kids, three and under. Later, write your plans in pencil, but write your conviction in pen. Like, this is who I am. This is my core value. But I think some of the plans, you know, yeah. they, they change. But. Being being someone who's, you know, extremely inspirational, aside from, you know, obviously the Bible and your faith, where do you get a lot of your insp- your personal inspiration? My dad mm. be huge, man. I'm, if they ever wanted to do a Lifetime movie, they should do it on Robert Madu Sr. Just really? from his journey of being one of seven brothers who are all still in Nigeria, his step of faith to fill out an application to come to Union University in Tennessee, and just getting favor to be to get a visa to come to the United States to get married to just the faithfulness yeah. and the loyalty and the stick to itiveness of that man is like nobody I've ever seen. If you ever see me quitting or throwing in the towel, don't believe it because I'm convicted by the life of my dad of how faithful he's been. Married to my mom 35 years, just retired from the city of Dallas as a fireman for 32 years, just the most faithful, consistent man. Never pastored a church, but pastored his family. Made sure we were in the house of God. Never saw any contradiction. My mom and my dad, but especially Mm -hmm. my dad being a man and having kids now, never saw anything contradictory from what he was telling us to do to how he was living. It was even, it came full circle, man, at his retirement. He just retired from the fire department. And the, the fire department is interested in any other job because you live with the guys that you work with, yeah. you're there 24 hours, you spend the night. So they, if you got any skeletons, somebody <laughs> on the shift is gonna see it because you know. sleep with those guys. And to see all these guys from different stations, my dad's been to like four different stations, come out of the woodworks at my dad's retirement party, all them stories of, man, Robert prayed for me wow. when I went through this. Man, I was down and needed some money. He helped all of them. I mean, I was just there weeping like a little girl, man, because yeah. it was just like, man, my dad has never been anything different in <laughs> private than what I've seen yeah. in public. So, my, yeah, my dad's a huge, huge, huge. Those are the real heroes, right? Right, yeah, I mean, absolutely. the ones that live these cinematic lives and you never see their face on, yeah, the, yeah. on the big screen. Absolutely, yeah. I'd say, number one, my dad for sure would be a, be a huge inspiration. If you could go back and, you know, the success that you've had at this point, if you could rewind before it all started and give yourself some word of advice, what do you think you'd say to your younger self? Mm, My younger self is, I would say, relax. Yeah. It's not that serious. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's all, you know, your strength is your weakness, you know? And so I think, uh, I, definitely lean towards the perfectionist side i mean i cannot tell you when i was talking about the grind earlier i cannot tell you in the early days that the time yeah i would put into studying and make sure that i had had the right word and 
all that. Even this set, these settings, to be completely honest with you, are not my absolute favorite really? because it's so out of control. Yeah. And yeah, you, you know, don't know where I, it's going to yeah, go. Yeah, I don't know where it's going to go. I'll, I'll probably, I won't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I'll be like, why did you answer that <laughs> like that? You could have been way more articulate, may, did you just way say you more. Won't listen to this yes. podcast. Thanks for that, Robert Madu. <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to your part, not mine. <laughs> I won't listen to but, this uh, podcast. But, uh, <laughs> good luck but with that. Sometimes I won't go back and listen to sermons. Like I have to yeah. force myself because that perfectionism thing yeah. is huge. And again, it's a it's an asset because in terms of like crafting and honing my gift and what and being a great steward of what I feel like God's given me to do, I feel like it's helped in that sense. But if I'm not careful, yeah. it can go towards performance to right. think that my acceptance. Is based off of how I perform with people or with God, and so that's what I go tell my early. I've gotten better, yeah, than I was when I first started. So that's why I would tell my my younger self is like, chill, Robert. Yeah, it's not that it's not that serious. The idea of your strength being your weakness. You think that applies to everybody? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I think we all <clears throat> have certain gifts, certain measures that, if channeled the wrong way, it's all stewardship, man. If yeah. channeled the wrong way, it can be detrimental. And that's the thing that trips me out about God, if I'm honest, yeah. is that when you really think about that, that scripture that says the gifts of God mm. are without repentance, that God gives you a gift. Yeah. And it's up to you whether you want to use it for his glory or not. And you see people in culture who are some of the most gifted people that this world has ever seen, and their gift became their downfall. It was actually what killed them because it wasn't stewarded right and because it wasn't given back to him. And that just trips me. It shows me his grace that he's just kind enough to give you a gift whether you want to use it for him or not. But it's also to me a very scary thing to know that if the gift I've been given that will ultimately bring glory to him and help so many people that if it is not stewarded right can ultimately be my downfall, my detriment. When you talk about a gift, do you see how do you define the difference between a gift and a talent? Do you separate the two? Um, no, I would say I probably use those terms interchangeable. Uh-huh. Do you think yeah. is a gift your skill or is that separate? I, th- I would say it's both. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think um, I think there's just a natural gifting. That you that humans have been given. There's also, you know, just ten thousand hours you can put <laughs> you can put in towards it. You know, if you do something long enough, you're gonna be amazing in it. But I would think, yeah, it's that uh it's that X factor that for whatever reason, yeah, God just said, Here you go. You can do what you know, do what you want with it. It's amazing how far some people can go even with the gift. Yeah. But um yeah. I think I use I use the terms interchangeably yeah. between skill and gift, but I think it's the thing that is just God has just given it's you. What works? Just yeah, yeah, yeah. And the place that when you do it, you go, man, I was put on the earth to to do this right here. Yeah. And some people don't even find it. some people are I think very successful in some fields, but aren't necessarily in their yeah. in their gifting. 
It's good. Well, we'll wrap it up with this, and I think I I do know the answer to this question. But do you think the Cowboys will go to the Super Bowl oh, this my year? Goodness, I'm gonna say the by. <laughs> I'm gonna say by faith. Yes, yes, okay. there will be we'll in see there. How strong your faith is. Love you, brother. Thanks so much. I do for know this. I have to today. say. I do have to add this to, just as a closing thought because okay. I just found out this man is a Steelers fan. Me. <laughs> let's just what let's are you gonna just say? Think biblically. <laughs> let's just think theologically. That when the wise men were trying to find Jesus, uh-huh. the symbol was a star. They followed the star. They did. And then when we get the mission statement of the enemy, he comes to what? <laughs> Go steal, away. This podcast, kill, this episode is and over. And destroy. <laughs> we'll wrap it He's up a there. stealer. I'm just saying. <laughs> star or a stealer? Oh, my just gosh. Just a matter of your salvation. Thanks you for that. <laughs> you can just ignore the last 30 seconds. Oh, man. Love no, you, brother. Man, Thank love you. you, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.